0: Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled. If you've got a pulse, this podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you're fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you we've been called to communion in Jesus. We have been given the mission of bringing people to Jesus and bringing revival to his church. So our title, New Manna, comes from John six fifty eight. 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the New Manna, the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us in the Holy Eucharist. So each episode of Manna, New Manna will consist of two things. Eucharistic testimony from clergy and lay leaders, followed by a conversation on a bite-sized piece of a papal document pertaining to the Holy Eucharist and worship. So today, I am joined by Dave Prather and Pat McEnany of St. Joseph's Parish in Shawnee, Kansas. And we've got a third a third guest. Who's with us? Who is that there, Today Pat?
1: we have Lucy. She'll be one year old on February the 15th.
0: Lucy, welcome to the show, it's, it's awesome to have you. And Lucy is approaching nap time, so we are, we are going nuclear, uh, pretty much any moment now. So, but seriously, Pat, thanks for your witness to, to grandfatherhood, to fatherhood, and to family life. Uh, I've been blessed. <laughs> we just wanna know, like what's your story of falling in love with Jesus, in particular with Jesus in the Eucharist? Take us back to the beginning, what's it, what was it like before you knew him and what happened?
2: I'll start uh, I was raised here and uh, right down the street at a Methodist church it was my first encounter with the Sunday school and kind of from a non denominational secular family got to kind of the basics of uh, yes Jesus loves me the Bible tells me so and probably the last time I heard that was in the third grade after that family wasn't really churched at all not even Christmas and Easter but I had a general reverence for uh, for Christianity and considered myself a Christian growing up in uh, junior high and high school and didn't really know what it meant. And then uh, as a good secular family, my family wanted to uh, give me a good education and I got good grades in the Shawnee Mission School District here and uh, ended up at Rockhurst High School where I was uh, didn't know what a sacrament was, didn't really understand wow. anything about the church, and frankly, I didn't appreciate it. Uh, one thing I was exposed to that it was a big seed for me was scripture for the mandatory theology classes. Yeah. So I was kind of familiar with scripture and it kind of struck a, a tone in the back of my mind. But frankly, it was just a class I had to take and I'm kind of glad I was introduced to it, but it, it didn't capture me yet. And there wasn't much apologetics in that time frame so i kind of was uh, presented with catholicism and i mm-hmm. thought it was just another flavor of ice cream and i, I didn't dislike it but i sure i, I wasn't really uh, i was too busy being me and doing things that high school kids do and my goal in life was to go be a pilot so i ended up going to the air force academy to go to flight school and join the air force and left all that in the rearview mirror while i was busy getting educated and trained and so
0: you actually you you joined the air force and you were pursuing Actually, being a pilot, it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a uh, a fantasy or a dream like that. You actually, this actually happened.
2: It was a fantasy and a dream, and my father was uh, an Air Force pilot, an airline pilot. Okay, all right. And then I learned to fly in high school here in Olathe, Kansas, and I realized that's that kind of captured in hindsight it was the, the beauty and the majesty of science, reason, and physics all coming together to see the world from a different perspective, mm. which was uh, definitely the attributes of God were, t- were tapping me on the shoulder. But I just wanted to do it because it looked really fun and sure. se- seemed like a really cool thing to do. <laughs> definitely. So I went off to, to do that dream and I was lucky enough to marry my wife also from this area who was a cradle Catholic. And we moved around the world, lived in Japan, Germany, all around the states. Uh, started a family, I have two, uh, lost to two children, still not uh, a churchy guy at all for me. Mm. But there's definitely something that grabbed me by seeing the two miracles of birth for my children that I knew there was something I needed to kind of get back in touch with as a father. And when my children were about 10 and 6 years old, I left the Air Force to do the airline life Okay. and had a little bit of a hole open up in my schedule that I think God was planning all along. Mm. And for some reason, I started listening to Christian radio here in Kansas City, started opening up my Bible so I'd be a little bit more of a qualified parent to talk to my daughter when she got older. And then that was kind of how God grabbed me for for, for real for the first time was through, through the word in the scriptures, So I became kind of a non-denominational Protestant gung-ho Bible reader, uh, before I really took Catholic faith as even a serious option.
0: Wow. So you were, you were flying all over the world. You were stationed in, in Japan and in Germany and all over the States. And these two kiddos came along and you wanted more. You wanted to be
2: more. Yeah. I remember one time, uh, in Japan, uh, Feeling a lot of gratitude for being a father and uh, loving flying airplanes, and I felt like I really there's something I really needed to be accountable for God, mm. and I felt uh, uh, that was the first strong sense of prayer. I remember personally being just thanking God for for all the gifts in my life, and I kind of had this hole that I what, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah,
0: and then what happened? Like you you you're, you're reading the Bible. You're you call yourself a a Bible thumping non-denominational guy. You know, just want to be a good dad and to, to be able to be a good dad and to speak into your daughter's life when she got older. But what happened next?
2: Well, I'm kind of a studier by nature and kind of a cynic and a critic of everything I see, which is a good attribute to, to be a fighter pilot. It's not always a good attribute to have for relationships. Mm, preach. But it made me look at things from a critical eye sure. and I wanted to know the truth. And lo and behold... Uh, heard about this men's Bible study here in the, in the neighborhood, and that's where I got to know Pat pretty well. And it was a non-denominational kind of ecumenical group of, of great men that were following Christ and, yeah. and trying to find more. And there's just one guy in our group that seemed to kind of be a real articulate, big picture, uh, seemed to be kind of above the fray and, and understood the, the coherence of Christianity sure. different than the other guys, and that was this Catholic guy named Pat. And he would kind of be the voice of reason that would kind of make me think a little bit deeper instead of sure. just the, the technical uh, surface level. And that was probably the, the, the piece that put together Scripture as well as this thing known as the Catholic Church. Yeah. Meanwhile, my whole marriage, I'd been married for 25 years. My wife was a very thoughtful, devout, uh, much more mature Christian than me. And she was kind of becoming reacquainted with her Catholic faith about the same time. Wow. So then two and two together, that led me on a journey that ended up making me passionately wanna become Catholic. Mm. And especially in fact, this Easter will be my 10th anniversary of entering the church. And as I studied in the RCIA and study, I did a lot of study on my own to kind of look at the rest of this. Yeah, The Eucharist was a huge part of not just a symbol, but understanding what a sacrament meant and the right. sacrament of the Eucharist in particular. And by the time Easter rolled around uh, you know, 10 years ago, I could not wait to have my first Eucharist. And it, it was just an amazing uh, hunger that was there all the time. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. and It came into focus yeah. of this, what does the incarnation mean? Wow. And what's the beauty of this uh, worship and partaking in that relationship in a really personal way with Christ that I had never it just came alive. I, I think I had a pretty good, clear black-and-white television version of Christianity up yeah. to that point. I knew scriptures pretty well. But when I started to uncover the the, the 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 depth of the Catholic Church and particularly focused on the apostolic succession of bishops and priests and actually bringing the Eucharist to the table every day, became a high-definition color television version right. of Christianity. I and love that. That, kind of, that was a personal relationship for me that I just never— comprehended when I was uh, just studying scripture was awesome and I yep. felt like I had a relationship and I did but the through the Eucharist and the, the 2000 year history of the church it just came alive for me you know
0: so good so good thanks for sharing your story Dave Pat so you've got you've got a uh, a war medal on there with with our brother Dave right here so what was that like sure
1: well in a lot of ways it's kind the opposite of Dave um, in in many ways and and they're ends up being a convergence of, of our faiths um, which is beautiful but cradle catholic grew up right down the street here from saint joe and um pretty strong catholic family uh, one of eight um but somewhat the typical um catholic sure. um lost my faith basically you know through college um and 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 this is where it gets kind of different i end up marrying unlike dave uh, you know he marries a catholic girl i marry a baptist girl Nice. And for, um, I don't know, 10 years, well, when we got married, we she agreed to uh, raise our kids Catholic. But it was my, you know, it was kind of like that, what I would call now pseudo-Catholic. Sure. I'm sitting in the bench. I think I'm a good guy. That's really all I need to do. Send my kids to Catholic schools um, and uh, go home and not really do anything else besides that. Sure. Going to Mass every Sunday. And, and then my wife decided to become Catholic. She got tired of sitting in the pew. Mm. She started asking me questions about my Catholic faith and I didn't have the answers. Mm. And it was kind of like a aha moment for sure. me um, to say, Pat, really, are you really Catholic or are you just sitting in the pew pretending to be Catholic? Right. And so that's kind of when uh, our path uh, with Dave and Vicki uh, crossed over in the Protestant Bible study, sure. and they would ask me questions, and so it just got me deeper and deeper, you know, on that intellectual side um, of learning the Catholic faith. But at the same time, we we started doing other um, Catholic events, um, and and getting stronger into our to uh, my prayer life. Yeah, and my wife just is the typical convert. She's the much better Catholic than I am. Mm. And she's bringing her friends around, and she and Vicky uh, do Bible study together, and and so it's just been a, a beautiful adventure um, to go deep, not just intellectually learning the faith, but sure. then spiritually um, having a prayer life, um, trying day after day to to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right. and that always sounds, you know, like a like a Protestant, but it's. The truth, yeah. Having a prayer life is 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 the most important part. It's the foundational part, and then the learning comes after that, perhaps. But uh, so yeah, it's been a it's been a beautiful journey, um, coming to my faith in in a real way, wow. as as opposed to being a the somewhat typical cradle Catholic.
0: That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing. Um, you bet. Oh, like just how. Like, what would the world look like without the, you know, the, the ladies in our life? Just, it would be a, it'd be a train wreck. That's um, right. Um, yeah, intellectual, but also relational. Yeah. Like the, the, the church is not, I mean, the church is so deep. Like there's, there's no, like there's no organization out there. There's no, like nothing is as deep and wide. Um, and as, as just as, as profound as the the tradition that we have, the capital T, the tradition, the, the magisterium, the teaching, two thousand years, like, come on, it's so good that we have access to that. We can tap into that at any given moment. So, you 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 had this um this this kind of it sounds like both of you kind of had this aha moment of like, well, I need to do something. I need to something's got to give. Something's got to change. And um, you were starting to ask questions or, ask, or questions were being asked of you. Um, but what was, the, what was the transition point between um, like your, your personal relationship with our Lord and then wanting to just like seek Him out and to know Him deeper in the Eucharist?
1: For me, um, I kind of did the high dive. Um, I did the 30-day um, Ignatian spiritual retreat. Mm. And before that, I really had no prayer life. You could do the rosary and, and and recite vocal prayers, but it wasn't um, a deep relational um, prayer life. And so that was that was the big movement um, for me. Is and and you don't have to do the 30 days; you can do the weekends and stuff like that. But doing spiritual retreats um, to me, it's just an excellent way of really grounding yourself in a, in a strong prayerful life.
2: I'd agree, and I, I uh, <clears throat> also the last piece that fell into place for me was this idea of Mary as someone that brings you to Christ and someone that mm-hmm. God used to give Christ to us instead of my Protestant view of Mary was a substitute for Christ or a false idol or some a subject of worship, object of worship. When I realized that she was the vessel that God used to give us yeah. himself, then I loved Mary so not much more even now than 10 years ago but I realized that was an, an Avenue or a conduit that God gave us to bring us closer to him and by understanding that little piece about Mary made the Incarnation so much more real to me that yeah. God God really became a man incarnate through the Virgin Mary right and that made the this I think all those avenues come together at the same point in the Eucharist where it's a real thing it, it God really gave us himself, and he did it through Mary. He founded a church, which I knew from Scripture, but I didn't understand the magnitude of that. Sure. So then I saw this this beauty, which, frankly, I think every month since then, for 10 years, I've had a greater, deeper appreciation for how awesome and real history comes together with the love of God through the person of Christ that he used Mary to give us mm-hmm. and is present every day at the, in this church through the Eucharist. Yeah. And well, prayer life is... Yeah. is the connection to that. So I, I come to those greater, deeper understandings through my prayer life, which I dedicate time every day. And one of the conduits that Pat and I also used was the Holy Family School of Faith here in Kansas City. We both yeah. did the mentorship program as couples together, and we didn't even know we signed up. At the, We, we cool. just showed up together and did that journey. And the emphasis on prayer, and my wife's always been way ahead of me on a prayer life and and having the, the reverence and being able to lock into. A mental conversation with God, but that that without prayer, none of this makes any sense. And, right. th- and people that haven't reflected on it deeply and and, and wrestled with it in their own head, <coughs> not in their own head, but through their own head sure. to God sure. in prayer, that's the turnkey that makes all this come together. And, and for me, for deep appreciation and love and sense of awe for for God.
0: Yeah, and tell us more about like what what is your what is your active your your daily uh, prayer life? I mean, what, what's, what role does the Eucharist play in your, in your prayer life today?
1: Well, for me, it, it's um, just gives me a greater appreciation um, of what Jesus Christ did for us. Try to have a, a deeper personal connection to what happened 2,000 years ago. Um, and, and so then when I do go to Mass um, and I try to do it, during the week as well, not just Sunday, it means so much more. Sure. And that's Lucy. She doesn't like me talking, so she's <laughs> she's giving us an earful there. She's really just learning how to talk. She's having so a it's, blast. She's kind of cute.
0: Taking selfies on your phone down there. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the other thing about the uniqueness of the Eucharist is it, it truly starts with the, the priest holding up the work of human hands and mm-hmm. wine and bread, and then through this act of consecration, when he raises it at the altar, this divinity of Christ being really present, even today in history, in yeah. this moment, that to me, sometimes when I wake up and I maybe have doubts, is this stuff really real? Am I spending this much time of my day or my week on this Catholic faith? Is this just a coping mechanism? Right. Is it just a cultural thing to get approval from my friends or my wife? Or is it really real? Yeah. And in prayer, that's where I connect you know, this is a matter of microseconds back to the reality of it. And having wrestled with that, you know, intellectually and seeing the veracity of this sacrament of the Eucharist, which is mm. all over scripture, which I kind of took for granted in yeah. my non-Catholic approach to scripture. But it, it, it it's the peace that connects the divine to the human, to eternity, to the finite yeah. temporal life that I live. And it's a very comforting, satisfying and challenging right. thing that can... It, the Eucharist is just uh, just so uniquely suited to that in my yeah. mind that makes my, my faith stronger when yeah. it, every time I think about it It's the point of
0: convergence right if you were to you know, put on your I don't know there's this artistic term for like art and design where the the, the vanishing point where these two lines disappear or they converge um, and the the it's just this where everything comes together. Absolutely, moment. Um, I, I totally agree. But what what advice would you give to anybody out there, your brothers, or sisters, who 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 are on the fence about the, the our Lord, and his his true presence in the Eucharist?
2: It, it always depends on where you're coming from, uh, of course those statistics in the Barna study were pretty famous and are a little bit depressing but when you break down the statistics even more to the people that attend church mass regularly the, the numbers shoot up dramatically to something and and even a, even the people that go to church regularly to mass that don't believe it's real they're not aware of the teaching sure so of those catholics who know the teaching and attend mass at least once on the average of once a week sure the, I think the number was more like 88% believe mm. in the true body, blood, sure. soul, and divinity of Jesus actually literally present in the Eucharist. Right. So by getting into it more, there's only one thing that that you can converge on, and that would be what I would say is the truth. Yeah. And there's so much testimony to that historically through the writings of the church. Uh, the earliest one I had was... Uh, St. Ignatius in about the year one oh five wrote yeah. about these crazy people that some of them don't even believe that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And when I read that little apologetic piece, I was like, wait, in as, as in less time that elapsed, seventy years or so sure. from the from the resurrection to him writing that, that would be like the time from World War II to now. And it was just an accepted fact and a sense of irony that some people didn't believe it. Sure. I assumed it was some kind of a medieval Thing, teaching that the church came up with to try to get more members or something right. and then I realized no this has been a core teaching and understanding of the church fathers from the earliest days yeah. that they were taught by polycarp through john the, the earliest yeah. people that had a, a, a touch with the apostles this was just part and parcel to what they they thought yeah. and then I read reread the scriptures that back up all these the history and the tradition of the church and I see it's 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 all over scripture yeah starting with the understanding of the passover and exodus and the tangible reality and requirement that yeah. each member of the Israelites had to eat some of that right. sacrificial lamb. Yeah. And then we read John chapter six in light of the Passover, you realize, wow, Jesus is t- preaching a teaching that's very difficult for them. And then when they question him on it, he comes back three times and tells them, no, this is what I'm saying. I know yeah. it's difficult. And if you don't like it, he didn't say, no, please come back. We need some more money for our, our church coffers. I, ju- I just want a bigger church. He basically showed them the door. He yeah. said, "If, if you, you can leave if you want, but this is the reality and this, this is, is the truth, yep. which I love. I love that. I want the truth. I, I yeah. want to examine it and I want to test it and, and I want to go with it. Right. And so to me, it, it became an easy... Easy solution to believe it because it's the coherence.
0: For sure, for sure. I love the. If you guys don't know anybody out there who doesn't know Saint Polycarp, do a deep dive on Saint Polycarp. This this guy had a crazy cool martyrdom story. I remember reading it for the first time. It was just mind boggling and how he himself was literally (laughs) turned into. not to just you got to read it like this guy had a a eucharistic martyrdom almost like getting uh, baked alive it's uh yeah not the most family friendly thing to talk about but it's so cool dove flies out of his chest it's a party like we got some crazy stories in the church that's for sure and uh yeah you gotta you just gotta read it to believe it so yeah pat would you have anything to to share to your brothers and sisters on the fence or anything like that i think
1: it's important that um they get involved in, in some Bible studies, uh, and I think men's Bible studies and, and, and separately women's Bible study, get a good group of men together and make the discussion. Um, a lot of times the same age, so you know, they're all in their 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever. I think that power of talking to each other, uh, for men talking to each other about their faith life, and then going, getting into the Bible yeah. um, is very important um and it's 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 a nice slow process of going deep and then um say okay we're going to study this and right. and do a bible study and sometimes use um some resources that um like bishop barron explaining yeah. uh what you're reading it is is very important it's a slow process the mass is not intended to be a, a bible study you're there giving praise to god sure. And and, um, and that's what the focus should be. The Bible studies, okay, let's let's really get into this reading or um, this encyclical and really di- take a deep dive into it. So it's Definitely. a nice, slow process that uh, women can do in the evenings or early in the morning, um, men, whatever. But I strongly encourage yeah. um, that kind of study.
2: How about Bible in a Year podcast? Father <laughs> Look, Mike Schmidt's
0: Ascension Press. Yeah, let Father Mike do it for you. He'll... Uh, He'll rock your he'll rock your socks um, there, there's so much with our with our faith that we um, even as Catholics who who consider themselves well formed that we are just like not aware of so I mean whether you're formed or not or whatever like wherever you're at there's always more for you in our Lord Jesus there's always more uh, that he has in store for you and, and speaking of more I think this is would be a great opportunity to transition now into the second part of our conversation today. Uh, today we're going to be cracking open a new document, a new, a new papal document on the Eucharist in worship. We're going to look at Ecclesia de Eucharistia by Saint John Paul II, and he he wrote this this beautiful, beautiful document in 2003. It was the 25th year of his of his pontificate. But anyway, he he wrote he he wrote this document to the entire church. So this isn't like just addressed to a priest or to bishops, or to religious, or whatever. He wrote this to literally the entire church, um, and it's it's exclusively on the Eucharist and its relationship to the church. So today we're going to be looking at the first 10 uh, paragraphs of this document and kind of just go through this introduction and get a better idea of what it was um, that he was trying to accomplish and to to get his heart for the Eucharist and, and the, the Eucharist's role for the church today. So Dave, was there anything in the first... You know, 10 paragraphs, you know, your gold nuggets, anything stick out to you?
2: Uh, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, uh, I, I liked how he included Mary, and that was paragraph six for keeping score at home. But yeah. to, to contemplate the face of Christ and to contemplate it with Mary is the program which I have set before the church at the dawn of the third millennium, summoning her to put out into the deep on the sea of history with the enthusiasm of new evangelization. Hmm. He he brings up in that same paragraph, my favorite uh, Eucharistic story from scripture, which I was familiar with, but didn't appreciate uh, until I became Catholic. And he says, whenever the church celebrates the Eucharist, the faithful can in some way relive the experience of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And that's from Luke chapter 24. And of course, I think we all probably know the first story of a mass would have been the last supper. And the second Mass, though, is, as the road to Emmaus, is also very impactful to me because that's, if you recall, is when uh, these disciples, not apostles, but disciples are walking along the road, and this stranger comes up behind them that they don't recognize as Christ, and uh, he, he begins to unwrap the scriptures for them, and he says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Mm -hmm. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So we had the liturgy of the word taught by Jesus himself to these disciples. Then the the most impactful part maybe was uh, verse 30. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him yeah. and he vanished from their sight. So as they have the Eucharist presented to them, he is fully present right. with them and they recognize that as the divinity and in, in the bread and the yeah. species. And then later on when they go back to tell the apostles what they just witnessed, they couldn't believe it. and. They, in verse 35, they, they told them what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Yeah. So that's what John Paul is referencing when he's uh, talking about this important story on the road to Emmaus of how right. the, the Eucharist uh, revealed to people that didn't know Christ, they came to know him fully.
0: Right. I love that story too. And it's not just a story. It really happened, of course. Um, but like immediately after the disciples are like, nah, I, I don't buy it. This is ridiculous. Like, immediately after that, he, like, zooms through the door. You know, he just, like, he comes into the room, yeah. says, peace be with you. And all, they all freak out because they think they're seeing a ghost. He's like, I'm hungry. Give me some fish. I'll show you. I'm real. Check it out. I'm real. I'm here. Something really struck me, and it sounds so silly to say that the first line really got me. But, like, the first line just, <laughs> uh, John Paul II like says, the church draws her life from the Eucharist, period. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't give any, like, footnote. He doesn't reference anything else. He just says, this is true. The church draws her life from the Eucharist. When we think about what the Eucharist is, it's literally Jesus. It's literally his body and blood, Um where, where else would the church draw her life from, if not from Christ himself? It's so simple, and yet it's so profound at the same time. I don't know.
2: Did, you, did that resonate with you at all? Absolutely, and of course the Catechism says that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. So anyone who hasn't contemplated and wrestled in their own mind with all these myriad dimensions of the Eucharist, they're missing out on the source and summit of the faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, to my Protestant friend's credit, they, they both Pat and I would, would absolutely loved our time breaking down the Scriptures and, and loving Christ through Scripture. That extra piece that opens it all up and pours God's love and grace all over the table is just a deeper understanding of the Eucharist. So I feel very privileged to have access to that fullness of the faith through the... the the real, the reality of sacramental grace, in, especially in the Eucharist. Yeah. Just the bottom line.
0: Yeah. Amen. And I love how he goes on to say later in paragraph two how um, he says, uh, "Did the apostle, did the apostles who took part in the Last Supper understand the meaning of the words spoken by Christ?" And he says, "Perhaps not." And that brings me so much peace. Even they didn't get it. These guys who, these men and women who had basically a three-year Bible study with them camping trip with our Lord, like with the son of God, these people spent three years with them and they still did not get it. And that brings me so much peace. Cause like, even, even in my times of, of wrestling with the Lord with this, it's, it's so beautiful to know that it's okay. That like he, he loves us enough to, to, to understand us and to, to, to take on our flesh, he, he understands us and he knows what it is that we uh, that we wrestle with, that we struggle with, and he doesn't, he's not going to beat us over the head with truth. He's going to kindly just offer the invitation again and again to invite us back into deeper relationship with him. He's not, he's never going to condemn us for our ignorance. He's going to embrace us in our ignorance and call us into, into a deeper truth, which is just a deeper relationship with him who
2: is capital T truth and of course Thomas missed out on that. Right. And that he was the witness of spending those 3 years with Christ, then the witness of the 10 apostles who told him about the post-resurrection experience, he still doubted. And then when he finally got to put his hands on the wounds of the resurrected Christ himself a week later, then he immediately fell to his knees and said, right. "My Lord and my God." And then Jesus Called him on it and said, hey, well, blessed are you. I'm glad you believe it now that you've had the luxury of being in my presence and touching the wounds. But then he said, blessed are those who will come after you, that would include you and me, Mm -hmm. who come to this by faith. Yeah. Blessed are
0: those who did not see and yet believe. Yeah. And I got to stand up for my brother Thomas out there. Like He was the only one uh, when the Lord was like, all right, it's time to go back into Judea. He was the only one who said, I'm ready to go and die with him. Let's go. He, he he was the example to the apostles to the to the disciples saying let's get up let's go so that
2: we might die also with him. Uh, he goes on to say, I think it's in paragraph nine. In many places, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament is also an important daily practice and becomes an inexhaustible source of holiness. Yeah, which is a very loaded sentence because of hopefully we value holiness and we realize that Christ gives us this relatively easy avenue to partake in His holiness in the eating of something so tangible as right. eating the the bread and drinking the wine. And then when we can contemplate that in an adoration chapel, which St. Joseph here has a 24-hour adoration chapel, just to go in there and stare at that Eucharist and, and contemplate what it means, it's just, it's in your face. It's, you either believe this or don't believe it. And if you don't believe it, why not? And what are the consequences? So it may not be quite as... Uh, the same experience that Thomas had touching the wounds of Christ, but but if, if you're formed enough to understand the Church's teaching on these things and you're confronted with it, it kind of f- it forces the issue in a way that's yeah. ho- holy and complete and very satisfying. Yeah,
0: see, like the Lord, he he always um, truth by its very nature, like um, it separates. It separates uh, what is true versus what is not true. You know, it's like two plus two is four or it's not. You know, it's It is or it isn't it's a yes or no it's a binary black and white kind of deal and i think the lord is really gentle about um giving us the opportunity to to come into alignment into agreement with his truth um because yeah truth cuts it cuts away um that which is not of him and uh something something else that really struck me was in in paragraph eight he says um jump all the second he says this he says the son of god became man in order to restore all creation in one supreme act of praise to the one who made it from nothing. (laughs) And he goes on, he says, He, the eternal high priest Jesus, who by the blood of his cross entered the eternal sanctuary, thus gives back to the creator and father of all creation, the redeemed. And he just he goes on. He says he does so through the priestly ministry of the church to the glory of the most of the glory. I butchered that. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again for you because I care. The Son of God became man in order to restore all creation in one supreme act of praise to the One who made it from nothing. He, the eternal High Priest, who by the blood of His cross entered the eternal sanctuary, He thus gives back to the Creator and Father all creation redeemed he does so through the priestly ministry of the church to the glory of the most holy trinity this is the mystery of faith like this is this is just it blows my mind like the son of god the son of the father became man to restore us to what we forfeited he <laughs> we had dual citizenship with with, like on earth and in heaven and but but we forfeited that citizenship we forfeited it and he came to restore us and to give us the opportunity to to receive it back as a, as a second chance um, and to, to to make it one again and it's it's not just Jesus you know giving us a big thumbs up doing this no it's through the priestly ministry through he who is the eternal high priest like the priestly ministry of Christ himself which all priests, Throughout the world, participate in. Like I heard it once upon a time, I think it was Father Mike Schmitz actually who said, How many priests are in the world? How many? And people were shouting out, Like, 1600,000, you know, 100,000, 50,000. And he's like, One. There was one priest in the world, and that priest is Jesus Christ. Like all other priests throughout the world participate in the priesthood of Christ. It's not that they're individually on their own, separate priests. Wow. And yep. it's it's Jesus. He set it up this way. He set it up this way that all priests participate in his one priesthood, in his eternal high priesthood, that by his blood and by his cross, he um, allows us to participate and enter into the eternal sanctuary again. and And through that, um, through that one eternal act on the cross for us, He allows us to to he allows all of creation, us, you and me, to be
2: redeemed, and He offers us back to the Father. It's un it's unreal. Absolutely. Well, he, Saint Pope John Paul, was very aware that the culture thought that he was crazy. Mm and he had the personal attractiveness and holiness to get people's attention even those who were secularly bound and very critical of anything a, a preacher would say. But he also constantly lamented this cultural doubt and kind of shallow criticisms that we see all the time when someone admits they're a Catholic in public or would dare to say the name of Jesus mm-hmm. at a cocktail party. But. The little blurb I, I got on that one was uh, quoting St. Pope John Paul, that at times one encounters an extremely reductive understanding of the Eucharistic mystery, meaning we've just reduced it to, well, it's just some, some host that right. they buy at the Catholic host store, and it doesn't really mean anything. It's just a symbol, but it's kind of nice. It's a pretty church. I like the music was soft, and, and everybody seems pretty serious, and I, and I, I leave the church. And he's he's lamenting that because he says, stripped of its sacrificial meaning, it is celebrated as if it were simply a fraternal banquet. Yeah. Furthermore, the necessity of the ministerial priesthood, grounded in apostolic succession, is at times obscured and the sacramental nature of the Eucharist is reduced to mere effectiveness as a form of proclamation. Yeah. It's so much more, but it's easy to take that for granted. And I think yeah. we all sometimes, ourselves take it for granted maybe at mass sometimes certainly see some people there that seem distracted they're just there because their family members wanted them to be there and i try to remind myself whenever i walk down that aisle of the pleasure the privilege and the awe of about to take part in eating the body and blood of christ himself and that that kind of reduces me to uh, a necessary form of humility and reverence that is just uh, a special thing that is, is a, a gift of our uh, the gift of the Catholic Church to yeah. us as, as believers
0: like there's just there comes a point in time when and I feel like I, I feel like I'm here a lot more uh, a lot more often than I give myself credit for but just not that it's me but like just Jesus and like there comes a point in time when like during prayer or at mass um, that the this, all of this kind of comes together and it just overwhelms me. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is actually happening. This is Jesus. His plan is to restore me. His, his plan is to, to give eternal just glory to me because he wants that. He wants restored relationship. He wants me to be in perfect and right relationship with him and the father. And it's just like everything, everything that this document is, Everything that any of these documents that we that we're going to be talking about over the next year or so, just like any of it, all of it, the, the, the summation, of faith, the summation of everything I've ever known, and come to know, like about Christ, in Christ, for Christ, whatever, where it's just like it's like an it's overwhelming, just overload, like circuit, my my circuit breaker just like fails to hold it all within itself, and all I can do is just say, Amen. It's like I have to just lift up my heart. I take it out of my chest I just lift it up I give it to God and I just say amen because I can't words fail words fail at what this is about just like what's happening what this means to me what this means to my family to my wife to my children to my community to our parish like what? It's it's overwhelming it's just so overwhelming to to, to reflect on the grandiosity of like this supreme act of Jesus and what it's making possible for for me and everyone that I know and love and care about. And I want everybody to be in that with me. I want everybody to experience that. And that's the call, is to share that with all of our, all the people in our spheres of influence through relationship, yes. Through good conversation, yes. Through friendship, yes. But also explicitly to make an invitation. Because it's not us that convict people about the truth of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people. That's That's his specialty. That's what he does. Um, yeah. Any closing
2: thoughts, Dave? As we kind of wrap up our time together. Well, I think the obviously the highlight of the mass is not the homily, it's not the music, and it's not the seeing your friends and neighbors yep. their, and judging what clothes they wore to church that day. The, the highlight is truly, obviously, the consecration of the hosts and the and the wine. But all the formation in the world and intellectual understanding or memorizing church councils or Eucharistic miracles is is, is meaningless yeah. compared to that moment of, of profundity that I'm partaking in the body and blood of Christ. And I think there's two things I think of. Uh, that's my second favorite part of the Mass is when we say before we receive communion is, I'm not worthy that you should enter yeah. under my roof. But if you say the word, my soul shall yeah. be healed. And then on my way back to the after communion, I just remind myself over and over that Eucharist means Thanksgiving. Yeah. And all I have to do is admit my place in that economy that I'm at the bottom rung and I'm nothing without his grace and love. Mm-hmm. But because of that grace and love, I have something profound to be thankful for. Yeah. And I kind of run through my laundry list from creation to the gifts of life and my loved ones and my family. Yeah. And and the opportunity to spend eternity with Christ because of his will and his love, and I can just be thankful for that.
0: Yeah. Amen. So wherever you're at out there, um, if you want to learn more about the Eucharistic revival, this Eucharistic amazement, this revival, which um, Pope John Paul, the he actually talks about, I forget where it is. Um, oh my gosh, it's in this first sentence. Like he wants to bring about an increased awareness of this Eucharistic amazement. He wants more Eucharistic amazement in his church. Nonetheless, check it out. Uh, If you want to learn more about the Eucharistic Revival, um, we have a ton of resources on our our website, um, archkck.org slash revival. Uh, It's got prayer resources. It's got formation resources. It's got preaching resources for clergy. um, It's got everything. Uh, It's got a, a local adoration directory of all the places around Um, the Kansas City area, that you can actually go and adore our Lord at. But yeah, if this podcast has blessed you, please leave a review, and a five-star review, preferably, and share it with your friends and family because the more reviews that we have, the higher those reviews are, the more likely, um, the the higher up, the better ranked it's going to show up when people are searching for things like this. Um, Yeah, Dave, Pat, thank you for being here. Thank you for your fatherhood. Thank you for your yes, for your fiat, for your... Grandfather, thank you for your your ministry as a son of God in in your sphere of influence. Just thank you for your witness.
2: Amen. It's a pleasure to talk about these things publicly, privately, or just in the quiet room with the door closed between me and the Lord. Amen.
0: So this has been New Manna. We'll see you next week.